Dress like a president, Dan. Supposed to be Martin Van Buren. Who? Martin Van Buren. Google. Martin Van Buren. History is strange. It's alien, and it won't give us what we would like to have. And it's a Tuesday, the fifth of December, twenty twenty-three. Hour three of the program being brought to you by Gatto's Tire and Auto Service. Dave Bowman with us, and on Tuesdays in this eight o'clock hour. Dave Does History. Dave, what are we diving into today, my friend? Well, this week, Bill, on Thursday of this week, begins the Festival of Hanukkah, the lighting of the menorah. Mm -hmm. And I have always maintained that there are a lot of American connections to the Festival of Hanukkah. I know know it doesn't seem like there should be, but if I had four hours, I could go into that. But one of the questions that is often raised about this this miracle of the the oil burning is why would they even light the menorah knowing they only had one day's worth of oil and that they needed a week's worth why would you even do that why wouldn't you just say well we'll have to dedicate it next week we'll have to we'll have to do it next week and the answer uh-huh. is very simply this and I, it's kind of the theme for the day it's always the right time to do the right thing if you have a day's worth of oil, you light the menorah because that's the right thing to do. And so okay. They, so they lit the menorah, and the miracle happened. The lights burned for eight days and so forth and so on. When we look into our politicians in our history, that phrase, it's always the right time to do the right thing, would find a a desert of, of application. Oh, are, yeah, no doubt. There are very few politicians that you could apply that to across the board. But one of them. Fortunately, I've known a few. Yes, so have I. One of them was born this day, December 5th, in the year 1782, in a little place called Kinderhook, New York. Ever been there? No, sir. I don't think I so. Have, couldn't even tell you where it is, to be honest with you. I may have been close, but I don't know that because I don't know where it is either. <laughs> Kinderhook, New York was a very heavy Dutch community. In fact, the people born there, the people that lived there, spoke Dutch as their primary language, and their primary teaching was there, in Dutch, sorry. And on December 5th, 1782, born to the Van Buren family, came along little Martin, who would be the first, you you were looking for facts about Martin Van Buren? Uh-huh. Here's two of them. Number one, he is the first American president that is born a United States citizen. That's cool. Secondly, he's the first American president whose primary language is not English. It's Dutch. Because he was raised. Because he's raised Dutch, Dutch. Yeah. And Martin Van Buren, from his earliest years, likes to build consensuses. He from the earliest age, loves politics. He gets into law, and he becomes involved in politics, and he has noted very early on that he is both very good at politics and that for some reason, he seems to really enjoy it. He masters English, he masters politics, 
and he will go on to become one of the leading politicians in the early half of the 1800s. You know what? We'll hear and learn more about this guy than we've ever known, most likely, in this edition of Bill McLive that continues in 60 seconds on WMMB. Really, all your holiday favorites on Light Rock 99.3. Mindy working that up this morning in the studio right behind mine. Dave Bowman with us with Dave Does History. And we're talking about Martin Van Buren, a non-English speaker as a child, learns it, masters it, does the same with the law. And apparently, Dave, you're telling us politics as well. It's his thing. He is he is a brilliant politician. And again, he's not somebody that when you say, okay, let's talk about the 10 greatest presidents of the United States, Martin Van Buren doesn't pop to mind. In fact, I'd bet if you ask 90, 100 Americans on the streets to name you know, any of the pre- five presidents from the 1800s, I bet you none of them even come up with Martin Van Buren. Okay. But the thing is, he should have been. He's got that same je ne sais quoi that Daniel Webster will have later. Everybody just assumes that Daniel Webster is going to become the president of the United States. And there's almost this presumption that Martin Van Buren is going to be the same way. He rises through the New York political system, and he does something that might surprise people today. Martin Van Buren is the man who will actually found the Democratic Party. He's the, he's the driving force behind uniting these, these disparate forces, these political arguments, and that into one united party, which will then go on to dominate American politics for much of the next century. Although, again, you would think he would be the leader of it, but things aren't going to work out quite that way. He ends up being a senator. He ends up being the governor of the state of New York. And through all of this time, he catches the eyes of a man who is very famous in the United States, a guy by the name of Andrew Jackson. Mm-hmm. Now, Andrew Jackson is a populist. He is a man who holds certain political views. He holds certain policies, and he definitely wants to be president of the United States. Moreover, Andrew Jackson feels like he got screwed out of the presidency before, and he's going to make sure that that doesn't happen again. And so, uniting under the Democrat brand, Jackson decides that he's going to become president, runs for president again, he wins. And this is, um, it's hard to describe to people. There's really, well, I guess there is one reasonably comparable president to Jackson in the sense of the populism. But Jackson is so well-loved by the American people. The system, the political system, hates him. They hate him. They, 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 would, they would get rid of him in a heartbeat if they want to, if they could, but they can't because the people have made it clear that they love Andrew Jackson. And one of the things that Andrew Jackson does, of course, is he is very much against the Bank of the United States. He sees banks as bad for the American man, for the American citizen. In this, Martin Van Buren agrees with him, and Jackson likes Van Buren so much that he makes him the Secretary of the State, of Sec- Secretary of State, which 
in some ways, Secretary of State, today, I, I maintain that today it's kind of a non-job. It, it's really where you put your, your chief political opponent that, that you want to maintain as your friend. Because you want them close. Party. Right. Yeah, right. You, right. Your primary opponent. Right? right. You want them close, but you don't want them in a job that's re- you want them to get all the blame when something goes bad. But you're <laughs> going to take all the credit when something goes good. Exactly. Secretary yeah. stays perfect. In the 1800s, it's not quite that way, because remember, this guy has to negotiate with France and England and everything else. And Martin Van Buren is so good at this, Bill. He is. Probably one of the best secretaries of state this nation has ever had. And he is so good at it that when Jackson decides to run for a second term, everybody looks around and says, we need Martin Van Buren to be the vice president. Because imagine all the stuff that he's done as secretary of state. Imagine what he can do as vice president of the United States. Yes, they actually thought that. What? Imagine how much this guy could do as vice president. Which, not a placeholder at that time, huh? Not really, no. It was it was much more because of the way the communication was. You know, you didn't have television. You didn't have a radio. Right. You had newspapers. But because of all that, the vice president was seen, you know, someone who could, well, in this particular case, Jackson saw Van Buren as someone who was so simpatico with him, so in line with his views about all of the issues of the day the economy, the bank, relationships with Europe, the Indians, all of these all of these Jacksonian policies, which were very populist, keep that in mind. Martin Van Buren is so in line with them that since I'm in my second term, and while there is no amendment yet that says you can't run again, the example set by Washington is you only serve two terms and then you step down. Well, Jackson's going to follow that because he doesn't see himself better than than George Washington. So he knows he's going to step down, but he wants someone to follow him that is basically the third term of Andrew Jackson. Okay. And so Martin Van Buren. Joe Biden after Obama. I like it. Or George Bush after Ronald Reagan or whatever you want to, however you want to look at it. That being said, Martin Van Buren is essentially tapped by the Democrat Party to run for the presidency in 1836 after Andrew Jackson will step down. This is going to be a different kind of campaign. It's kind of a campaign we've never seen before. But when it happens, Martin Van Buren will be the third term of Andrew Jackson. So, got about 25 seconds here. He saw them thinking alike, and and was it the consensus-building side of this that Van Buren brought to the table that strengthened Jackson here? It sounds that way to me. Part of it is he actually believes the same things that Jackson does, but part of it is that consensus as well. We continue with more on Martin Van Buren as Dave does history on this Tuesday edition of Bill Mick Live on WMMB. Stay with us.
Coleman joins us for our weekly dive into history. Pay attention, there will be a test. No, there won't be a test, but you will be held accountable. Bill McLive. Thank you, Victor. Allow the hour being brought to you by Gatto's Tire and Auto Service. Hey, reminder for you, top of the uh, WMMB and Bill McLive Facebook pages, a link to our virtual red kettle for the Salvation Army, the Bill McLive WMMB virtual kettle. Make your donation there and uh, help the Salvation Army throughout this season and doing the most good. They do great work in this community. They're great people, and they deserve that assistance. So thanks to those of you who already donated, and for those of you who are going to, thank you much. Dave, we're talking Martin Van Buren, and he served as Secretary of State and then Vice President under Andrew Jackson. Now he is running for the presidency himself. What's going on here? In 1836, he is tapped as the Democrat nominee for the presidency of the United States. Now, again, this is seen as the 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 political successor to Andrew Jackson. And he is so in line with Jackson's policies that it's basically just reelecting Jackson again. And the nation, as I said, was a different place. And then uh, Jackson understood that the example of Washington was you served two terms and you left. Mostly because most presidents find out in their second term that it doesn't go as well as their first term. Uh, there are very few highly successful second-term presidents because it becomes politically untenable. And Jackson was beginning to see some of that blowback. And But Van Buren was seen as someone who could unite the country and, and carry on those policies. That doesn't mean that everything was going great. The economy was, I guess, best described as shaky. Things were going okay, but there were some problems. The second bank in the United States, which Jackson had vetoed, was still, the the legislation was still out there, and there were still pushes to have that take place. There was a lot of state debt, and there was a lot of speculation going on uh, with land and, and those kinds of things. It was creating, let's just call them economic warning signs. Now, this is not an economics podcast. We're not going to sit here and talk about the, the the specifics of the specie system versus the fiat system. What I want you to understand, though, is that it, I don't really care what side of the argument you're on. There are advantages and disadvantages to both, and you need to understand okay. that. One of the disadvantages to the specie system, the hard currency system, is that it cannot and does not absorb shocks very well. And we had seen this over and over and over again. In 1837, we're going to have a panic and a depression. And part of that problem is the Jacksonians' policy of not having a national bank. We'll get there when we, but right now we see those warning signs coming. There's another issue, of course, which is always the issue in the United States before 1865, and that is slavery and abolition. Martin Van Buren is a northerner, but he is also a Democrat. He is a states' rights person, but he has also been raised by the Dutch, who are very much abolitionist. So where does he come down on this? And as president, what's he going to do? These are questions that nobody really knows the answer about. But he is in such a good position. Imagine being so far ahead in the polls, Bill that the only solution 
that the opposing party, which is not the Republicans because they don't exist yet, right. it's a party called the Whigs, which are similar, I guess, in some ways, but the Whig, the only solution they can come up with, they don't have a single candidate that can even compete with Martin Van Buren. So their solution is to run multiple candidates around the country. They will run William Henry Harrison, Hugh Lawson White, Daniel Webster, William Pearson Magnum. And they do this in different areas of the country. And their strategy, Bill, is not to win, but to keep Van Buren from getting enough votes in the Electoral College to win. And thus having it thrown to the House, which they think they'll have enough control over to win. That's the actual strategy. That's an interesting strategy. That is the actual strategy that the Whigs will take. And, of course, if you know anything about foreshadowing or history, and you know the fact that Martin Van Buren wasn't a president, you know that my most bad strategies, this one, doesn't work. So uh, this strategy doesn't work, and I thought it was an interesting concept, but it wasn't going to get them there. Imagine trying that today. Saying, you know what, we can't beat X candidate, so we're going to try to get a bunch of favorite Sun candidates from different states to pull just enough votes away to to throw it to the House. Or we'll try to keep him off the ballot in certain states around the country. Yeah, that's not going to work either. (laughs) Exactly. Some of these strategies are pretty amazing. The ultimate outcome of this is that Van Buren, along with his running mate, Richard Johnson, win election to the presidency of the United States. And I have long maintained, Bill, that becoming president of the United States is a matter of luck sometimes, luck and timing. Sometimes the best people for the job get there at the worst times. I think of Hubert Humphrey. Hubert Humphrey is one of the finest men, people this country has ever produced. And yet he becomes president. And what happens? We immediately have the, the collapse and the, the Great Depression. We have Hoovervilles. You, you, you mean, yeah, Herbert Hoover, not Hubert right. Humphrey. Right. Yeah. Did I say Hubert Humphrey? Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry. Herbert Hoover is what I'm trying to yeah. say. Hubert okay, Humphrey, I'm with you. not one of the greatest people ever, but Herbert Hoover yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely is. Herbert Hoover is fast. And in the same way, Van Buren becomes president when all the problems underlying the Jacksonian policies come to fruition. First, we get hit with the Panic of 1837, a severe financial crisis that leads to a major economic depression. And again, because we don't have a a banking system that can absorb that shock, we have businesses failing, the collapse, uh, unemployment soars, uh, you have speculation excesses, And again, some of these things are being caused by economic policies. Now, again, this is not an economics podcast, but you have to accept that there are some flaws with this. This will lead Martin Van Buren to invent what's known as the Independent Treasury, which is a treasury department that is independent of the government. Sound familiar at all to anybody? (laughs) The Uh, idea here is to kind of some absorb some of that shock. We don't have a lot of time to go into it, but the bottom line is Van Buren deals with it, but you know, it's the economy stupid 
applied just as much in 1836 and 1837 as it does today. People will vote their wallets. And what they see is the Jacksonian policies being carried on by Van Buren not being successful. And when people aren't successful, they start getting unrestful and argumentative. And then the other policies come into question, which is what ends up happening to Martin Van Buren. And we will talk about, let's, let's bring it to today for just a minute. The economy should be a big factor in 2024. Do you see it having that role, Dave, just off the top of your head? I think they're trying to tell me that it's not. They keep telling me the economy's great, but nobody I'm talking to on the street thinks so. Yeah. And if voters are true to their wallets, that'll be a factor. Dave Bowman with us. Dave does history. Martin Van Buren in front of us as we continue. By the way, Florida Roundtable next weekend, since this is uh, a couple of days ahead of uh, the anniversary of Pearl Harbor, we're going to take a look at Pearl Harbor with a well-known historian on the Florida Roundtable this weekend. His name is Dave Bowman. He just happens to be with us right now talking about Martin Van Buren and Dave uh, Gatto's Tire and Auto Service bringing you the hour. So we talked as we opened this hour about Van Buren being a consensus builder, being a consummate politician, somebody who... Uh, loved the, the whole process. How was he as a president building consensus? Not as good because of the issues that we're facing. And the, the problem is once the economy goes into the tank, people get snitty and, and they start getting blame casting, you know, I mean, sure. maybe he's a nice guy, but he's the one that's continuing Jackson's policies and Jackson's policies are problematic. There were other problems with Jackson's policies. Uh, Jackson was very much about the removal of the Indians from their, their native areas and, and sending them you know, West. It's, it's under Van Buren that that policy finds its most infamous episode in the, in the Cherokee, you know, the trail of tears, which to those of us from Oklahoma is a huge deal. But, He's the one that, that, that continues that. There are a lot of tensions. Remember, he used to be the Secretary of State, but now there are a lot of tensions with him, with, with um, Great Britain over, and if you ever looked at a map of the United States in this era, you understand where this is coming from. We're actually just about ready to go to war with Britain over Maine, the state of Maine. Where is the border in the state of Maine? And the two countries, the border with Canada, yeah, yeah, okay. Which at that point is is part of Great Britain. So there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of tensions there. Those foreign policy issues, these other things, and then of course you still have the slavery issue. You have the Amistad case explodes during Van Buren's presidency. And again, I've talked about Martin Van Buren is a Northerner, but he is a Democrat, much like Stephen Douglas will be in 1860. He's a states' rights guy, but he's also 
raised by the Dutch. He's an abolitionist with, with that element. So what does he do? Those, all of those issues are going to enter into all this, and they lead into the 1840 election when he is renominated for the presidency of the United States. But one of the leading controversies of his administration is his vice president. Seems strange to us, but his vice president, we talked about him you know, briefly before, Johnson, is a problem because his vice president is a Southerner who is, he has a common-law wife that was born into slavery. She's one-eighth African and born a slave. He's had children with her. She, he, she manages his estates, all these kinds of things. And this to the nation, now again, to us today, this seems absurd. But in 1840, this is a huge issue. Does this administration support slavery? That's a problem in the North. And in the South, it's, you know, it's, it's seen as a problem because this is kind of misogyn, not misogynistic. Uh, I forgot the word, sorry. Uh, manum, manumission-ish. It's, you know, there's this attitude of, what's this guy doing? And so this isn't blank. And so in 1840, Martin Van Buren becomes the first and only presidential candidate to run for president without a vice presidential nominee. He drops him off the ticket thinking maybe that will, maybe that'll help, but it doesn't. All of these factors will come together and Martin Van Buren will be defeated by William Henry Harrison and he will leave the White House, maybe not under the taint of scandal, but certainly not as beloved as he had had been when he started. But. He's still Martin Van Buren, and he still believes that he should be president of the United States. And he comes to believe that not only will he be president of the United States again, but that the people of the United States and the Democrat Party will come to him and say, please, Martin Van Buren, please, we need you. Please run again. Will he? Well. He wants to. But like so many people, there's one issue that will enter into the fray, and that issue is Texas. Texas, as you recall, wants to be part of the United States. But it's controversial, Bill. The problem with admitting Texas into the United States is, what happens with slavery? Does slavery expand? And what happens with Mexico? And Martin Van Buren believes that if we annex Texas, if we allow Texas into the United States, it will mean war with Mexico, and it will expand slavery. And these are two things that Martin Van Buren believes are wrong. And remember, it's always the right time to do the right thing. And so Martin Van Buren stands up and says, we should not admit Texas, and we should not expand slavery. It's always the right time to do the right thing, which he did, but it ended his political career. We pick it up in 60 seconds on Bill McLive. Dave does history on Bill McLive, uh, Martin Van Buren in focus, and 321-768-1240 if you want in here. So his career, which was so promising in his early life, he, he attains the highest office in the land, 
but conditions in the country and his positions, Dave, keep him from going further or maintaining that once he was there. I think it's fascinating because here's a guy that he, if, if anybody in this country, in this history of this country was born to be president of the United States, it was probably Martin Van Buren, probably Daniel Webster too, but neither of those two guys were successful ultimately. Daniel Webster never becomes president. Martin Van Buren does, but what he discovers is that this isn't uh, this isn't necessarily what I thought it would be, and he's he's double hamstringed by this because he's he's almost locked into these Jacksonian policies, which he's starting to realize that even though he supports them, are a problem. These are going to cause bigger problems, and after he leaves the White House, this whole thing with Texas. Boy, that's that could fill history books, and it probably does, uh, depending on where you're reading. Texas is is problematic in so many ways, and and that war that will ultimately come just a few years later because of the annexation of Texas, it, it it's a problem. And the, the, you know, he's I I have to admire him because again. How many politicians today would would take that attitude of I have to stand for the right thing at the right it's always the right time to do the right thing versus right. what's politically expedient and turn on my TV today and what do I see I see politicians making explanations for things that we know are wrong and they don't want to do the right thing because the right thing does not benefit them personally well doing the right thing did not benefit Martin Van Buren at all. In fact, it it essentially ended his career. But it ended his career with a pretty clear conscience, and he was able to go on and spend time with his family. He stays involved with politics in 19 or later on he will actually be nominated by the Free Soil Party to become president, which is not what he wanted. He wanted the Democrat nomination. But uh and but he stood by those principles. And I think if for no other reason we should remember Martin Van Buren for that, because he stood for what he actually believed in. Even when he discovered that what he was standing for, his policies were not working, he was willing to try other things. The independent treasury, negotiating with Britain, some of these kinds of things, the Amistad case and so forth and so on. But in the in the end, he had to make a choice. Do I go along to get along and call for the annexation of Texas, or do I stand for what I believe is right, which is peace, not going to war with Mexico, and no expansion of slavery, which, of course, in the 1840s in the United States of America was going to get you defeated. Certainly as a Democrat, you are not going to to return to office in that case. Mm -hmm. And I think we should remember him, especially today, because it's his birthday. The first president born an American citizen, Martin Van Buren. And you didn't know anything about him when we started. No. Now you do. Yeah. Does it change and, how you see him? Uh, well, certainly it does. And that, and we talk about it here regularly, that if we could examine these candidates and we could honestly get to know them some and find people of integrity who do the right thing instead of the politically expedient thing, and we have far too few people willing to do that. It's sad. And, it, you know, it's uh, there's a common phrase these days about, you know, don't get married. Don't fall in love with politicians. Fall in love with results. And 
I, you know, I, I, I see that in Van Buren because the results of his, his policies at the beginning were, were bad. I mean, again, not going to debate economics, but there are a lot of people who believe that Jackson's rejection of the second U.S. Bank led directly to the Panic of 1837 and the Depression, which was bad. I and mean, we, we talked today about the Great Depression and things like that in 2008. The worst depression since 2000, since the Great Depression. No, folks, we have no clue. We live in a society that has the ability to take care of itself. They didn't have that in 1837. You lost your job. You didn't eat. You lost your home. You lost your family. You lost everything. And those things affect politics. Those things affect, you know, the presidency of the United States. And I, I, I'm fascinated by, I'm fascinated by people who do the right thing because it's always the right time to do the right thing. Just like it right. was the right time to light the menorah, it was the right time to say no. And Van Buren did that. And I think he should be remembered, especially today, his birthday. That sounds like it very much so. And, and going back to the Ziegler story we discussed in our last hour. Doing the right thing for the right reasons. And again, personal life aside, what's right for those around you that you have impacted so much. And we don't see selfless politicians anymore. We don't. And, and part of the problem, Bill, is because these, this history has been hidden from you. Do you think Ziegler knows anything about Martin Van Buren? And if he did, do you think that he would take any lessons from him? My guess would be no. And then no. Because it's about him and the power he's attained to this point that he's trying desperately to hold on to, even when the party and all the high-ranking party officials are saying, it's best that you leave. And yet, if we did teach these things, if we did teach these things, would our politics be better? I have to think that they would. I would like to think so. Yeah, absolutely. If we, If you had that tradition that needed to be upheld, but if you look at D.C., if you look at Tallahassee, What's being upheld right now? Valuable lesson, Dave Bowman. Thank you much. You are more than welcome.